Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of realeverything.com. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Welcome to The Whole View, episode 406. I'm so jazzed about this show. We've been (laughs) talking and preparing for it um, since before this show was called The Whole View. (laughs) And yeah, um, this this one's another one that's been in the works for a really long time. I personally am just jazz hands about educating a very dear loved one on why filtering water is a good idea. And I'm going to start with a little story just to recap our listeners who may not have been here last (laughs) summer when on the road... Stacy saw what she thought was a fresh spring and was like, boys, go fill your water bottles. And <gasps> later that day, I've never heard this story. You have never heard. This is a terrible story. You have never, I've heard? never heard this story. And the beginning of it is already. This is owned. Oh, oh dear. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. This is how Utah was ruined. Um, because Mm -hmm. literally we were on the Oregon trail. This is not a joke. We were on the Oregon trail. We have pictures and I gave my children dysentery. (laughs) (laughs) It is the family joke, but it wasn't very funny at the time. (laughs) And Matt and I, of course, already had water bottles. And so we didn't fill it at the quote unquote fresh spring. And... All of the kids were so sick. And the day after we had to drive to Montana because I had an event or we drove through Montana to Utah because we had an event. And um, it was it was a situation or no, was it from Utah to no, we coming from Idaho to Utah. That is the Oregon Trail going east. And um, and so we had an event and we had to get on the road. And if you don't know anything about Montana, there is nothing in Montana, like most of the way that you're driving. And so the kids would need to use the restroom because they had dysentery. It's <laughs> like the poor kids, we had to pull over on the side of the road. And so that is my story about why water filtration is important. And um, <laughs> what I will say, <laughs> and what I'm looking forward to sharing with our listeners, I think we, we all know that, right? But like, what I'm looking forward to sharing with we our all, listeners. I think... I think 90.9.999% of our listeners would have seen a body of water next to the road and not thought, yay, it was, it potable was a water. waterfall state park that we visited, to be clear. It wasn't just mm-hmm. on the side of the road. Yeah. And I know that you think 99.98% of our listeners also would eat vegetables with bugs. But I will tell you, I ran a poll from last week and only 21%. Um, 21% were with me. They were with me. Yeah. They would throw it yeah. out. So I'm thinking maybe 21% might have also thought it was a fresh spring that's on Team Stacy. I'm just saying. Um, lesson Got learned. It. But what I think is fascinating and I'm excited to talk about an educated dear loved one is that it's not just that runoff water on the side of the road that's not good <laughs> for you. That yeah. oftentimes our municipal water is not meeting the standards set forth. And it's important to understand that. And also beyond that, like what might we, even if it were meeting the standards, what might we want to be aware of about water? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you have so much science. But before, science. before we jump into that, I want to thank our sponsor for this week, AquaTrue, whose reverse osmosis water system is what I have had on my countertop for probably about a month now. And there's one person in our house who is not yet convinced that it's a good idea, but everybody else is loving the fresh taste of the water like Mm -hmm. we tasted side by side and we could actually taste the difference between the filtered quote-unquote filtered water coming out of the um installation that we had on our sink versus the aqua true we could actually taste the difference um 
And what I think is double fascinating about Aquatrue. So first, P.S., I the first thing I checked when you told me that you liked the system was that it was BPA free. Um, and it is, yes. <laughs> but the thing that I extra, extra love about it is that it is, um, supported by Aaron Brockovich, which now that I know that I'm going to like tell all the family members who already love it because they're going to geek out. We watched that movie as a family probably last year and they really loved it. And I think it tells such a good story about, um, not true story, a true such story, a good- true story but not needing to um needing to be aware of what might be contaminated even coming from a system that you're supposed to be able to trust and I think that really lays the foundation for what you're going to kind of unfold um on the science part so so jazz so um, I do have to say that I have had a AquaTrue reverse osmosis water filtration system on my countertop for over four years. Um, so this has been, I've, I've, um, like I've, I've, <laughs> was I an early adopter? I don't know if I can call that an early adopter. Um, but what I love about them, besides the fact that reverse osmosis is the most rigorous way to filter water is their technology is really different than other reverse osmosis um, sort of systems. Um, so reverse osmosis is a fairly like on average, not aqua true, but on average is a fairly wasteful way to filter water. So the big industrial systems will waste four gallons of water for every one gallon of reverse osmosis filtered water they produce. Um, and aqua true is about 12 times more efficient than that. And it just, it's like a little box that sits on the counter. There's a tank that you fill and then that's where the wastewater goes. You just dump the wastewater down the sink or I'll throw it on plants outside and then you put in fresh tap water and then it filters um, a gallon of water in like under 10 minutes. It's also pretty, pretty fast. Um, And so as we go into the science of like why water filtration is so important, um, I do want to like really like triple, quadruple, quintuple emphasize that um, reverse osmosis is the best way to filter water. And there are um, potential contaminants in our tap water that cannot be removed with other systems. And that is my main reason for loving AquaTrue. Um, And my other reason for loving AquaTrue, they're giving our listeners $150 off. I'm so excited about that deal. I'm going to take advantage and get one for a loved one that I know could really benefit from removing some toxins from their water. I'm going to take advantage. And if listeners, you want to take advantage, you can go to aquatruewater.com slash the whole view, but there's no E in true. So that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U water.com slash the whole view, and it'll automatically get you $150 off the lovely countertop systems that both Sarah and I have. Mm-hmm. I've, I've literally had mine on my countertop next to my sink and it's been awesome because if someone just goes to the sink to get water, it's right there in your face. Like it's, it, it doesn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like yeah. off in a corner somewhere and it's super convenient because we have the kind of faucet that just like you can pull and refill it. So, you know, you don't have to like cart anything anywhere. It's been super convenient. Let's talk, let's jump into the science though. I know one of the things that really kind of blew my mind was um, the idea that three out of four of the households in the U.S. have contaminants in their Mm -hmm. tap water. Um, And I just want to like let that sink for a minute. That means one out of four people have tap water that is within the safe limits defined. That three out of four people we have tap water that has contaminants that exceed the safe limits. Um, and that's a reference we can include from the environmental working group. But that to me says a lot about um, why we, we need to be doing our own filtration. Because if you just go to a website and you look up what the safe limits are and you're like, okay, I'm comfortable with that. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that your water is actually meeting those limits um, from yeah. where you're getting it from. Which is why I'm super jazzed, Sarah, for you to jump into the science, because regardless of anything we do on this show, what we always do is deliver the references and the resources 
to educate. And so whether you're reading it one place or the other or whatever, Sarah, I know you've compiled a bajillion pages of, oh, 10 pages of notes and resources <laughs> and references for us. Um, and I, I know we have a listener question, but let's be real. This came from both of us <laughs> wanting to <laughs> learn more and share more about this. So um, listener question, thank you. Uh, but also, we know that the topics get pushed when I'm excited about something. <laughs> uh, it was a serendipitous listener question. And actually, Jessica's question, I think, um, helps round out the conversation on water because, um, well, I should read her question and then you'll see how it's not just about water filtration, but about hydration in general. So Jessica started with new podcast name, Love It. Thanks for continuing to podcast crazy times in the world and Stacy and Sarah, your voice is so utterly comforting. Anyway, podcast question is water intake. I don't think you guys have done a how much water do we need podcast. A deep dive into this would be really helpful. The standard advice seems to be either one amount for men and one amount for women or half your body weight in ounces, which is correct. Or is there another answer? What about just drinking when thirsty? I've also wondered how much water did our ancestors drink? I assume water was maybe harder to come back by back then, so maybe they were drinking less. This is the assumption I've always made and has led me to drink intuitively, which has more than likely led me to being chronically dehydrated. I feel like with all the conflicting info, it would be great to hear the science. By the way, Stacy, as a side note, after about a year, I finished catching up on the podcast. I know you are sorry. I am not. I was actually searching for a water-related one and came upon an episode called Thirsty Brain. I was like, for sure this has to be about how water intakes affect your brain. Nope. LOL. But that was a great episode about Matt's podcast called Thirsty Brain. Love you guys, and thanks for all you do. Listeners, don't go looking for that podcast. It was... Uh... <laughs> it was a strong start and a quick finish. Um, I was going to ask because I don't think I'd asked in a while if Thirsty Brain ever like continued on. No, Matt, especially now, Matt's a little bit busy, um, you know, Job with, wor with working stuff. 14 days in a row, 10 hour days. Um, but that's another topic. Um, for those of you that don't know, my husband is a postal worker, and this is during coronavirus outbreak when everybody is getting everything delivered by mail. So did I say mailman? He's a mail carrier. What did I say? I hope I said it right. You said postal worker. There you go. I'm working on not saying mailman, which is what I always called my grandfather, so it's kind of ingrained, but we all know that it is gender neutral, so I'm working on that. Moving forward, I am excited to hear about hydration. It's something... Um, I know I'm chronically dehydrated, but I don't feel dehydrated. I think that there's two kinds of people. Like, I don't have dry skin. I don't have those kinds of things. But I know that oftentimes when I think that I'm hungry, I can have like a glass of water. And then I'm like, oh, I'm satiated. I was just <laughs> thirsty. Um, and I don't know if that's like a hormone thing, not triggering properly, or if I've just learned to satiate myself with food as I grew up and comforted myself with food um, from disordered eating and all that stuff. But because of that, because I don't have like a natural signal that I feel myself, I know that I don't drink enough water and it's something I have to do with intention. So I'm curious to um, hear the science, not just on that, but also um, about healthy water to hydrate yourself with. <laughs> I, I I feel like you knew exactly what was coming and you just provided me with the most excellent segue. Um, so let's start with how much water, because this is one of those things that um, has actually been like a, like a debated topic within the like medical and scientific communities. So that classic recommendation of eight, eight ounce glasses a day is actually, um, even though you'll, you'll find articles of people saying like, no, that's too much. We don't, we don't need that much. It's actually not enough. So the way that, um, scientists in the last sort of seven or eight years have really come at this hydration, uh, question is 
rather than thinking of it in terms of like measuring how much water you lose throughout the day, which is sort of where these old estimates came from. So they would measure how much you would lose through sweating and through urination, which is the dominant ways we lose water. We also lose some through breathing, but dominantly it's, you know, what the kidneys need to make urine so that they can expel uh, waste products and what we use to thermoregulate when it's warm out. Um, so the original sort of estimates and how much water we need really just focused on how much water we lose. But more recently, scientists have started looking at that as a very um, sort of minimal intake and actually looking at things like um, kidney health, kidney stones, all of the various processes that use water in the body, gut health. Um, actually, our brain is one of the first organs to really show symptoms when we are even very slightly dehydrated. And so looking at all of those things to build a better guideline that is not a, like, how much minimum do you need to live, right? Rather than thinking of it that way, like you can live off of half a liter a day if you are very sedentary and live in a temperate climate, that's survivable, but it's not optimal. Um, so how much water makes us healthy? Um, the research now shows about three liters, um, up to about 3.7 liters for men and 2.2 up to about 2.7 liters for women. Um, the reason why it's different between men and women is basically a reflection of body size and basal metabolic rate. Um, so men just kind of go through a little bit more water because they tend to be bigger and tend to have higher metabolisms than women. But that amount is not uh, pure water intake. That includes the water that we get from all sources. So that's all beverages. So that whole like don't count to your coffee thing is actually a misnomer. Their diuretic effect is very, very weak. So we can count coffee and tea and other caffeinated beverages as part of our fluid intake. And also that includes the water content in food. So you would get that from fresh fruits, um, especially, but also fresh vegetables, soups, foods like that, that would have um, a sort of a natural water content. And so altogether, that is sort of the current guidelines for how much water we need to be optimally healthy. And then from there, it would shift up if we're highly active, if it's very hot out. Um, those are things that would increase um, our water needs. There's certain dietary factors that would increase our water needs. Um, for example, like how much sodium you're consuming. But uh, generally for us in this sort of health conscious community, the main things that might increase our water intake uh, needs beyond that would be um, exercise and being outside. I thought that Jessica's part of the question that she asked of like how much water did hunter gatherers consume was really interesting. And I spent a couple hours trying to track that information down and could not find a good estimate. But what I did find was a really interesting paper that looked at um, human evolution. So we actually only find remains of early humans near um water sources. And we know that early humans tended to congregate near water, creeks, rivers, lakes, um, sources of groundwater. And we even see this in hunter-gatherer populations, that they um, are very um, smart at being able to find sources of fresh water. Um, and even in very arid climates, they, they still are centered around ways of getting liquid. And there's actually been some um, anthropological research showing that this may have been really important for human evolution. Um, again, because uh, our brains use a lot of energy, which creates a lot of metabolic byproducts, which have to be filtered by the livers and kidneys, which increases our need for water to make urine in order to effectively detoxify. So our ability to grow these big, awesome brains that use 25% of our calories every day um, would have relied not just on really um, dense energy sources of food, but also on proper hydration. So even though we can't say, oh, hunter-gatherers on average consume blah, 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 liters of water per day, we can say that it was very likely that they um, drank a lot of water and that they very likely drank intuitively. So studies looking at thirst 
and hydration have been really interesting. Overall, they show that humans in general, as a species, are pretty good at drinking intuitively. Um, and studies have come at this at a, at a bunch of different ways where they've sort of looked at like what happens when you give people like free access to water and then you just kind of measure how much water they drink. We uh, tend to drink more during meals. Um, but when you sort of look at um, sort of a subjective or semi sort of semi quantified measurements of thirst. Um, so you give a score based on a, a questionnaire um, in order to sort of rate thirst and you look at measurements of hydration and then you look at how much people are drinking. You see that in general, people are really good at staying hydrated provided water is around. And on average, people will drink about two liters of water per day, just driven by thirst. Um, and that's, you know, probably the right amount of water considering other beverages and water from other food sources could probably make up that other liter-ish difference to, to hit our optimal levels. Um, and there's been studies showing that this is true in different populations. Um, for example, there's a study showing that um, athletes' performance is best when they just follow their thirst for drinking and that they're not either forcing hydration or there's like old school, like in the 60s, they would tell people to not drink during exercise, which seems crazy to me since we've gone to this whole other extreme of like sports drinks. Um, but generally, like that happy medium of, you know, follow your thirst actually seems to be the best for performance. However, and Stacy, this this might be very interesting for you. I'm like, however, then there's the broken people like Stacy. <laughs> right. There are a variety of things that have been shown to reduce our thirst relative to our water needs. So um, there have been a variety of things that show that um, ba that basically mean that when you're th you're not thirsty enough for how much water you need, so your thirst no longer becomes um, the thing to follow to drink intuitively. And these people need to focus more on hydration and drink with intention rather than just following thirst. So there's a bunch of drugs that are used for cardiovascular disease um, that impact um, thirst. Um, so if you're on those drugs, um, you probably know and you've probably got prescribed the drug with a and you need to hydrate type uh, recommendation from your doctor. But also there's uh, just age in general. So there's been a variety of studies in elderly people showing that elderly people tend to end up dehydrated and tend to not have strong enough thirst signals for their water needs. Menopause um, causes this in women. So it sort of like catches up with men eventually. Um, in women, it seems to be very hormonally driven, but also high estrogen in general. So if you are somebody with hormone imbalance with estrogen dominance, that could apply to you, but also if you um, are on an estrogen-based um, hormone treatment, whether that's a, um, a birth control or a not measured um, supplement, say for menopause, um, that is not based on like we tested your levels and we're trying to get you to normal, but just like here, have a bunch of estrogen. Uh, you might have too much estrogen and that can reduce thirst. Um, and then swimming, actually like being submerged in water can reduce our thirst, um, but we still actually need hydration. Um, so that, that one, I just thought I, I nerded out over that one. And then exercising in the heat. So you will feel thirsty exercising in the heat, but not as thirsty as the water that you need. So that combination of exercise and heat together tend to reduce thirst again, sort of relative to our water needs. So when I look at that list, I'm like, check, 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 check. Like to me that, that means that even though humans in general are pretty good at drinking water intuitively, there's so many exceptions to that, um, that I think overall it's a pretty good idea to be at least mindful of hydration and it's because there's some pretty bad things that happen when we don't drink enough on a regular basis. When I was growing up in elementary school, there was a young girl who was taken out of school for a couple of months because of dehydration. And I always, I know that that's 
like excessive, but I always go back to that in my brain. I think it's like one of those things that really stuck with me when, you know, when you're 12 things of impact. Um, and so it's one of the motivating factors for me, like, Oh, I don't want to get dehydrated. I also, um, know because when I competed, um, in strongman in the summertime, I, triggered my vertigo with a case of dehydration mm-hmm. um and I remember that that s- sticks with you like once you get that now anytime that I get dehydrated it happens again um and for those listeners that were here a few months ago you probably remember um that I said that I ended up while we were traveling getting um I was dehydrated and it started before we left from swimming and I didn't realize it. And I was having a whole bunch of issues and I ended up getting, um, seeing multiple doctors and having multiple issues. And then, um, one gave me an IV because I went to the ER. I was feeling so badly and that fixed it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that was dehydration. So it is something that I've been struggling with because I, I don't know if it's because I have this lack of desire because I can't figure out my own triggers. Um, like when I was competing, I just don't want to drink water. It's just not, I I don't have that desire that humans have to want to drink it. Like I don't have a drive for thirst. And so, um, if I'm not aware of it, if I'm not drinking with intention, then I do feel those repercussions. So, um, I know you're probably going to go into this, but it's not good. It's really, it's, it can cause, um, severe symptoms that like I didn't even realize were yeah. related to dehydration. They're, they're not things that you would necessarily think of. And I don't have dry skin. I don't have a lot of like the typical, you know, when you look up quick dehydration symptoms, um, that's not what happens to me. So. So what's interesting is like acute dehydration um, will make you feel extremely ill, but chronic mild dehydration kind of creeps up on you in terms of the symptoms. And like so many chronic things, the human body is remarkable in how it adapts to not feeling good. And you can end up sort of not noticing, not noticing, not noticing. But there's been a huge variety of studies that show that even mild dehydration, which is basically considered a loss of water equivalent to 1% of your body weight. So if you weighed 200 pounds, that would be two pounds of water, which um, is really not much. Like if I think about how much my weight fluctuates on the scale just from like eating and drinking throughout the day, it would be so easy to, to you know, lose 1% of water and not even notice. But that amount of mild dehydration puts a strain on the kidneys, which um, then sort of together the dehydration plus the kidney function, which controls blood pressure, can cause high blood pressure, which is a major risk factor for cardiovascular disease. It can cause reduced energy, increased fatigue. It can cause constipation. It can cause dry, flaky skin, but not necessarily. But I think there's, what's interesting to me is that there's a lot of cognitive issues. So not just uh, frequent headaches, but also it can impair mood um, and actually increase anxiety. It can reduce concentration. It can impair memory. It can um, reduce our cognitive performance. So our ability to, you know, solve a, a problem or a puzzle, for example, um, and it also has pretty measurable impact on exercise performance. It can cause muscle weakness. And this is the thing that for me nerds me out because I'm all about the microbiome these days, but actually our microbiome is sensitive to our hydration status. And that's because we have this whole collection of bacterial species that actually live in or sort of attached to the mucus barrier. So along our entire intestinal wall, um, there is what is, you know, called the mucus layer. And it's mainly water that's sort of held together with this protein called mucin. And this acts as a really important protective barrier against infection. So it basically traps pathogens in this mucus and the mucus sort of like slowly 
um, sort of travels down the digestive tract and eventually is eliminated. So it sort of acts as a lubricator. Um, and also that's one of the reasons why uh, inadequate hydration can cause constipation is through the impact on this mucus layer. So it's 98% water. So what happens when we're not drinking enough is that mucus layer gets harder and less um, viscous. And so that completely changes the um, physicochemical properties of the, the mucus that lines our digestive tract. And one of the things that that does is makes it a less hospitable environment for really important probiotic bacteria that normally live there to live. Um, so we know, for example, that lactobacillus really love living right in that mucus layer, but it also makes it a more hospitable environment for pathogens and makes it easier for pathogens to get from inside the gut environment, inside our body. So it makes that gut barrier that where it's, you know, that sticky mucus where it's supposed to trap things like salmonella and E. coli so they can't get into the body, it makes it easier for them to get into the body. And that's been confirmed in um, some like really interesting animal studies where they manipulated hydration status in the gut by controlling chloride ion secretion, um, which is normally uh, part of what controls the direction that water is traveling, either from inside the gut into the into the body or from the body into the gut. So fascinating stuff. But what that means is that actually drinking sufficient water is really, really important for gut barrier health and for our gut microbiome. And it's because of that mucus layer being such an important interface between the human body and our gut bacteria. Are you going to talk at all about what you referred to as acute dehydration? Because I'm really thrilled to look at this list and not have those symptoms for the most part, except mood and memory, which I mean, maybe that's just me getting old. <laughs> but um, I am, I am curious, um, other than, you know, needing to be more aware of drinking water when mm -hmm. I'm working out, which is what my real problem is. I do think that I am aware enough, like I'm sitting here and I have a cup of water and I don't really feel thirsty, but I sip on it because it's in front of me. Like, I don't have chronic things. And really, this is all about me, listeners. Yes, of course. Um. <laughs> not Jessica. Not not our listener question. Um, okay, so acute hydration would um, include feeling dizzy, rapid heartbeat, rapid breathing, um, extreme fatigue and sleepiness, um, confusion and irritability. Um, it can actually cause things like fainting. Um, you would see severe dehydration in having... Um, so it can pretty dramatically increase risk of urinary tract infections, kidney infections, and kidney stones. So you might see that in um, having a hard time peeing or um, having really sort of hot feeling and very, very dark yellow pee. Um, and that's basically a sign that the kidneys are like, help, I need water in order to do my job. Um, but the, those dominant feelings of acute dehydration. Um, actually, there's a large amount of overlap between that and something like sunstroke or heat stroke. And it's because dehydration is driving a lot of the symptoms of sunstroke and heat stroke. Um, but yeah, like dizziness, confusion, irritability, rapid heart rate. Yeah. I'd, um, say, I'd say you nailed those. The only other okay. one that was a surprise to me that I would say is I had what I described as like flank pain and Mm. I remember you were trying to help me look up like what it could be. And um, it's attributed to the potential, like you said, um, urinary tract, kidney and those kinds of problems. But it isn't like I didn't have any of those infections. I was just having yeah. severe flank pain. Um, so that was a, another symptom that I was. Because your kidneys are yelling at you. Yeah. they're, And I'm over here like, you know what have I done wrong? <laughs> not right. realizing that I kept swimming and I, I kept not drinking water, making it worse. I laugh because it's in the past. We're, we're moving on. I've, I've, learned, <laughs> my, I've learned my lesson. And it's interesting to me that one of the things at the top that you says caused dehydration is swimming. That, and we've had this show before about chlorine where I was like, hmm, I didn't realize that getting in the water could dehydrate me. Shocking. Um, moving right along. For Jessica. <laughs> For Jessica. <laughs> For Jessica. Okay. I want to take 
a tangent here and talk about alkaline water because I think alkaline water is one of the biggest scams ever in the health conscious community ever. Um, it's such a bad idea and no guilt for any of our listeners who drink alkaline water because you bought into all of the hype and marketing around it. But let's take a second to actually talk about the science behind it. So alkaline water has a alkaline pH, right? So that's the opposite of acid. Um, commercial alkaline water typically has a pH of 8.8 .8 or higher, and it usually has a very high dissolved mineral content. So it typically has quite a lot of calcium, potassium, and magnesium. Those are really important electrolytes, and I'm going to come back to that in a second. So um, just taking a like 20,000 foot view of alkaline water, alkaline water neutralizes stomach acid. And on the surface, that sort of, you know, sounds like a great thing if you have acid reflux. But the acidity of chyme, which is the mixture of like food and gastric juices as they leave the stomach and enter the duodenum, which is the first segment of the small intestines, is actually a really key signal to both the pancreas to secrete digestive enzymes and the gallbladder to, to secrete its bolus of bile into the small intestines, which are necessary for digestion. So anything that neutralizes stomach acid um, actually can hinder digestion. And that can cause a whole pile of problems. But the other thing is the impact on the gut microbiome, because most of our probiotic species prefer to live in an acidic environment. And they actually help to create a more acidic environment by making acids. So short chain fatty acids, um, like acetate and butyrate, uh, organic acids, um, like lactate are all things that our gut bacteria make as a byproduct of fermentation that helps to reduce pathogen growth and support a like healthy and diverse community. So if you're neutralizing those acidic molecules with alkaline water, what you're actually doing is you are suppressing the growth of really key probiotic species and, uh, increasing the growth of potential pathogens. And this has been studied. So there was um, a mouse study where they fed them alkaline water for four weeks and they show decreases in really important probiotic species of Clostridium, as well as Bifidobacterium and Lactobacillus are like two favorite genera of probiotic bacteria. Um, and an increase in Prevotella, which are associated with the production of TMAO, which is uh, considered a risk molecule for some forms of cancer and cardiovascular disease. And this has also been shown in humans. Um, there was a study that um, they gave humans, they consumed, consumed two liters of alkaline water um, or pH neutral water every day for two weeks. And they showed that the people who were given the neutral pH water compared to the people who had the alkaline water at the end of the study had higher bacterial diversity. It actually increased by 15% compared to the alkaline water. So um, it's actually the, the, the few studies that show a benefit to alkaline water don't differentiate between the pH and that high mineral content. Um, so there's actually, you know, the benefits of alkaline water that have been measured are probably completely attributed to the fact that many of us are not getting enough calcium or potassium and we can benefit from getting those in their elemental form dissolved in water. But spring waters, right, mineral waters can be slightly acidic and have very high um, mineral content. And in fact, most natural sources of water in the world are acidic, not alkaline. Um, so you mostly see like natural spring water would be slightly acidic. And acidic water, because our gut bacteria love living in an acidic environment, acidic water has actually been shown to improve the gut microbiome, to um, reduce a diabetes-associated microbiome, um, and improve um, the growth of probiotic species, in at least in animal studies. So it's much more important to be looking for a mineral water 
um, or say adding mineral drops. So I've mentioned that I've had an AquaTrue for four years. I add mineral drops to my water um, before I drink it. Um, I use Concentrate Trace Minerals. If you're looking for uh, a brand, um, that one is one that I really like. And um, that is where like there's definitely benefit to mineral content, but that alkaline water is not doing your guts any favors. I will say I've personally experienced this with the digestion piece of it as well. And I know you talked about that, but I just want to like, from a logical perspective, if you're drinking a bunch of water before you're about to eat a meal, um, or if you drink uh, as we did early on in our very unhealthy days, a bunch of soda during your meal, um, you're diluting the stomach acid that is then needed to break down the food. So mm-hmm. for me, what I've learned to do over time, um, and we had many, many gallbladder shows, you can go back and listen to them. But in order to get myself off of needing the stomach acid support, I add a squeeze of citrus to my water before I eat a meal. If I'm going to drink water with my meal, I try to drink my water outside of when I'm eating meals so that I maximize the benefits of stomach acid. And if I am going to drink water, to add lemon or lime um, so that I get that additional acid to help support um, digestion. So just put it out there. Um, So let's also talk about tap water. Um, and come back to why filtration of tap water is so important. And I want to talk about safe tap water first. Let's first talk about normal tap water that a quarter of Americans have access to that is within all of the standard ranges. So uh, normal tap water um, comes from, like the, the water that comes out of our taps originates from typically lakes, rivers, um, and or groundwater. And then it undergoes this very extensive filtration and then disinfection. And the disinfection uses one of two chemicals, chlorine or chloramine, which is also a chlorine-based molecule, um, before it travels to our homes. And that's really important because of um, things like dysentery, which, Stacy, you experienced, um, or rather the, the boys did. Um, and so it's, it's really important for safety to go through this disinfection process. But when you think about the community of microbes that live in our gut and think about a disinfectant being added to water, suddenly you go like, oh, wait, maybe that disinfectant has an impact on my gut bacteria. And studies have shown absolutely they do. And it turns out that the chlorine and chloramine that's added to drinking water Um, actually, uh, not only does it like decrease the growth of really important probiotic species, but it actually allows the growth of like multi-resistant pathogens. Um, So there's been a variety of studies showing that, um, say, feeding animals chlorinated water, tap water, actually increases their, um, the amount of uh, bacteria that are growing in their digestive tract that are actually associated with hospital-acquired infections, for example, compared to like a commercially bottled mineral water. And um, actually studies have shown that there's potentially a link between chlorinated drinking water and the incidence of colorectal cancer. So we've seen this in epidemiological studies in humans. And in mice, it seems to be mediated through the gut microbiome. So um, studies in mice that are uh, genetically engineered to be susceptible to colon cancer have shown that drinking chlorinated water increases tumor development in the colon, and that is associated with some specific species of bacteria in the colon. So uh, removing the chlorine and chloramine um, after the water comes out of our tap before we drink it is a really good idea for our gut microbiomes. There are also a lot of municipalities um, in North America in general that add fluoride uh, to tap water with the rationale of reducing tooth decay. Stacy, I looked back at what episode number we talked about fluoride and fluorinated water. Do you want to guess what episode number that was? Is it in the hundreds? The one hundreds? No. It was earlier than that. It was episode 34. 
it seems like a decade ago. <laughs> and it probably I mean, was. <laughs> order of magnitude, it was. Um, and actually, the, the science in that hasn't changed. Um, I actually really vividly remember my pages of, of notes. It was before we used Google Docs to organize our um, podcasts. And I just had pages of like notes on paper for that for that particular podcast. So what's really interesting, um, just to give our listeners um, a little bit of an update as well as a, a brief summary of that episode, because I'm not sure I feel confident sending people all the way back to episode 34. Our podcasts have definitely improved since then. Um, so uh, fluoride, the, the science showing that fluoride is beneficial for uh, dental health when it makes prolonged contact with tooth surfaces, for example, when we brush our teeth with fluoridated toothpaste, that science is really strong. Um, but the science showing any benefit to oral health from drinking fluoridated water is like basically non-existent. There's basically no effect. Um, and that has sort of led people to question whether or not adding fluoride to water is beneficial. Now, there have been some really large huge epidemiological studies showing that fluoridation does not increase risk of any of the things that have sort of been rumored to be true, right? Cancer, heart disease, kidney disease, liver disease, thyroid disease, Alzheimer's, birth defects, or Down syndrome. But there have been a few studies that have shown correlations between fluoride levels and lower IQ in children. And that has opened up the question of whether or not that fluoride can penetrate the blood-brain barrier and potentially negatively impact early brain development. That is still a big open question. More science is needed. But we do know that fluoride seems to accumulate in the pineal gland as we age. And the pineal gland is the gland in our brain that secretes um, melatonin, which helps our sleep. Um, we don't know if that is what is behind sleep disturbances in the elderly, um, but it is potentially something that would point to or strengthen the case of fluoride crossing the blood-brain barrier. Overall, um, more research is needed to sort of clarify whether or not there's actual risks with fluoridation um, in terms of these chronic illnesses. But we do know that the benefits are not measurable. And there is this whole other, like this new couple of new studies that have shown that fluoride again right it's it's very it's in the same family on the periodic table of elements um, as chloride and so it's it's not a surprise that it also has these sort of antimicrobial properties and there have been a couple of studies looking at what uh, fluoride um, and fluorine do to the gut microbiome showing that it doesn't doesn't do good things. Um, so there was a study in uh, chickens, and we, we take studies in chickens with a little bit of a grain of salt because their normal gut microbiomes um, are fairly different from us. It's sort of better to look at mammals in general. But it did show that exposure to dietary fluorine resulted in lower diversity of the gut microbiome and lower levels of lactobacillus and bifidobacterium and higher levels of E. coli. Um, so that's not a good thing. Um, and there was a mouse study that um, actually mimicked the amount of exposure that you would get in municipal water um, for 12 weeks. And that actually altered the oral microbiome, the mouth microbiome, in a problematic way. It decreased um, some really important probiotic strains in the mouth. And what's interesting about that is the, the mouth is a really important place for inoculation for the gut microbiome. So we actually re-inoculate the gut microbiome from the oral microbiome, kind of like every time we swallow. So um, even though the links between um, fluoride and municipal water and chronic disease have not been established, when we think about the importance of a healthy and diverse gut microbiome, and also given that the rationale for adding fluoride to municipal water is better oral health, and that has never actually been proven to have a strong impact on oral health, um, and there's no risk to oral health um, by having non-fluoridated water if you're still using a fluoride-based toothpaste, um, all when you take all that together, it makes a really, really strong case for filtering tap water, even 
good tap water for removing chlorine, chloramine, and fluoride. I'm still back at the lower IQ with children. Um, mm -hmm. Not a not not something I'm excited about. More science needed. More science needed, but even just the um, potentials of that not being good. Have you seen? Um, has there been research or science to indicate whether or not uh, the turnaround time on removing uh, the quantity of fluoride in particular or, or any of these contaminants um, has a reaction in the body. So, I mean, specifically, does your body have the ability to detox most of this relatively quickly? Or is it something that once you've been exposed at a higher level, for example, um, would stay with you, which I know some... Um, chemicals are versus the other you know what I mean yeah so I don't um I don't fully know the answer to that question but fluoride incorporates itself into our bones um so it replaces calcium in the calcium hydroxyapatite molecule it becomes fluorohydroxyapatite um and that actually it's interesting it makes our bones stronger but less flexible than the calcium hydroxyapatite. And there is some science showing that uh, an increased amount of fluorohydroxyapatite in bones may be linked to increased hip fracture um, in the elderly. Um, again, it's sort of like more science needed um, type data. But that, you know, what I don't know because people who are exposed to fluoridated water tend to be exposed for their whole lives is, you know, when you look at mineral turnover, would, uh, would the fluoride stay longer than if it was calcium in our bones? Um, and that is not a question that I have seen answered, although I haven't specifically dug for it. So I don't know if that data exists. Well, I am going to proceed forward with my fingers crossed that it is something that your body, at least in partial, um, can detoxify on its own with, you know, healthier habits and yeah. supporting. And, well, and if you think about it, our, our bones are constantly yeah. um, breaking down and then rebuilding, right? So our bones are constantly doing this mineral turnover. So I would think that because their bones are doing that, I mean, it might be a longer time scale than detoxifying something else. Um, but I would, I would think that eventually you can replace that fluoride with calcium. Sarah, when you talked about mineral drops in your water, it like yeah. blew my mind because I am not doing that. <laughs> so I actually was exploring AquaTrue's website and they have something called Perfect Minerals on their website Ooh. that come from the Great Salt Lake in Utah. Which oh, that's the same thing. Not to be confused with the running water nearby <laughs> that is not to know. be drank. But um, so I'm excited. I'm going to give it a try. And um, yeah, so I just wanted to let our listeners know if they go to order the system that they can get those minerals right at the same right time. Right there. Yeah. I mean, do that. And I'm going to try it with the bubble water because we have one of those machines that makes bubbly water and then it'll be like the expensive bottled mineral water that I no longer have to buy at the store and I can put a little squeeze of lemon in there I'm so excited so I'm excited that is Thanks um, for that precisely reference. precisely what is in my glass beside me as we record Fancy. um bubbles and all I uh, know um, okay so let's talk about what happens if you're one of the three and four Americans who don't have clean tap water. And I want to talk about pesticide residues specifically. Like I think um, heavy metals is uh, a really well understood problem. So if you have lead in your tap water, I think there's there's so much information out there um, that would, you know, you would understand the importance of not, not, not just not drinking it, but not showering in it, right? Because it's going to get absorbed through your skin. Um, and lead exposure, I think, is something that people have a really strong understanding of the problems. But I want to talk about pesticide residues building on last week's episode. So last week was episode 405, and we talked about pesticide residues in 
food and how those can negatively impact the gut microbiome. Um, and specifically, we talked about glyphosate. And I want to come back to that. So a quick reminder, if you missed last week's episode or if you got halfway through the really dense science and went, meh, um, my feelings are not hurt. Um, I realized that what that was last week was a very dense episode. So the cliff notes are um, that glyphosate increases the ratio of pathogenic bacteria to probiotic microbes in the gut. So it reduces is really important, like bifidobacteria, lactobacillus species, increases things like salmonella, like C. difficile. And the very important, incredibly um, alarming data is that there doesn't seem to be a very strong dose response. So the impact on the gut microbiome is extremely similar at 0.1 parts per billion compared to 5,000 parts per million. And so any glyphosate exposure is problematic. Now, glyphosate has been used in the U.S. for about 40 years to kill weeds that interfere with agricultural crops, and it's typically most heavily sprayed on corn, soy, and canola, which is why it has sort of infiltrated the food supply. Now, a lot of our listeners are probably not eating foods that contain cor corn, soy, or canola, but one of the things that might be happening is uh, exposure through the water supply because we know that runoff from ag industrial agriculture is a major source of contaminants in streams, rivers, and lakes, which are exactly the places where we're getting our tap water from. And there was actually um, a sort of third-party testing of 85 tap water samples from across North America that was a collaboration between Moms Across America and Sustainable Pulse. And they found um, that 35 out of those 85 samples had glyphosate levels up to 0.3 parts per billion. And that is three times higher than the level shown to impact gut microbiome composition in rats. And we do know that sort of separate studies that have looked at glyphosate in the bloodstream and in urine have found um, that uh, on average, 87% uh, of Americans have measurable glyphosate residues uh, inside their bodies. So we know we're getting exposed, and it looks as though tap water may be a uh, key route of exposure. As I look at, at this, this for me is the, the most compelling reason for... Um, filtering tap water using reverse osmosis. And that's, again, why I'm so, so grateful to AquaTrue for giving our listeners such a steep discount on their system because I've been using their system for four years. It's fantastic. Um, but it's, uh, you know, again, we're sort of talking about um, kind of like last week, we sort of talked about, right, there's foundational principles, right? Eat more vegetables. And then there's next level. Um, and I think filtering water is a foundational principle. Reverse osmosis is a next level. Um, but I think that depending on where you live, if you live in a place where your water is much more likely to be contaminated, that shifts this priority from next level down to foundational. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think the thing that um, really kind of blew my mind as we were talking about this, because it was one of the concerns that I had was that there's so much going on in the world right now with yeah. everything that we have that we don't, we never want to burden you listeners with like, and here's one more thing you need to worry about. Um, right. But rather, you make informed decisions from education. We're here to educate you. And what I don't want someone to do is spend a lot of money on a water filtration system because the most popular one that I have heard of does not mm. do the reverse osmosis that gets rid of glyphosate. And I think most people don't know that, right? So if you're yeah. about to invest money in an expensive water system, definitely look into what you're doing. I've known about reverse osmosis since the entrance into the kind of beauty world because the high-end products are using reverse osmosis water 
when they're putting it in because they want to make sure that there's no contaminants in the water that they're putting in the products because they don't want it to be absorbed in your skin. So now to be like, well, reverse osmosis makes sense for me to drink. Obviously, I don't want to be drinking that stuff more so than just having it absorbed through my skin. So when you were talking about reverse osmosis, I was like, oh, that I totally do know what that is. And that does make sense. I didn't realize that was something I could have on my countertop. I thought that that was like a big commercial expensive um, you know, giant thing. And so I loved you introducing me to something that I could have within my home that is filtering to this degree. Um, I think what is the most fascinating to me is this um, idea that it's beyond heavy metal contamination. It's beyond glyphosate that three out of four homes have contaminants beyond the prescribed um measures in America Mm -hmm. like that to me is just like what are we like what are we doing what it's one of those mind-blowing things like once it was a fact that I heard I couldn't unhear it right and um and that wasn't something that I knew before you and I started talking about this and preparing for this um I never would have imagined like I know that we have water problems as evidenced by my love of the Arabrakovich movie or um you know what what Matt said going into this is he's like you know unless you live in Flint Michigan and I don't think that that's the case what no. you know what is, I know what is shocking to me is that so many of us are having this water that is brought into our home that most of us don't think about and we just inherently trust it right like we we think oh someone's in charge of this someone's in charge of getting into our home and it must be safe and it it wasn't until I really started thinking more after you brought it up about well, what is in my water and where does it come from and what could be in it? And do I, with all the other things that I'm doing in my life, you know, the, the measures that I'm taking to avoid glyphosate on food, do I now want it in my water? No, of course not. So is it, am I at a place in my life right now with myself and my family where it's something I can take on? Absolutely. Especially if it's just something that I can put on my countertop and say, use this. That's a lot easier than, you know, having to wash everything that comes into the house and, and all that stuff. So do you, is this a burden that you need to be um, guilty of or stressed out about and all that stuff right now? If it's not something you can take on, absolutely not. If, you know, this system is not something that you can do right now, do you you know, suddenly have this overwhelming stress about it. Absolutely not. This is to educate you so that you can plan for if you want to make changes and to be educated and to look into what is potentially in your water. I think that's a really great place to start, right? Like to yeah, look at what's in your area. Um, EWG.org slash tap water, I think is where you were yeah. referencing before. Um, so people can look up what could potentially be in their area and and for you to be aware of that and to start thinking about it is is all we're trying to provide here today. <laughs> Maybe we should yeah. have said that at the top of the show, but then I just think that we should <laughs> and so um never mind. <laughs> well, and then if you are concerned about your water quality um and do feel like a good quality water filtration system is an investment that you're ready to make. AquaTrue has given our listeners $150 off, which is a huge discount. And you can get that at aquatruewater.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U water.com forward slash the whole view. Um, and I, again, want to thank them for Um, not just sponsoring this episode of the podcast, but um, providing such a generous discount to our listeners because it really does make their water system much more accessible. Agreed. And thank you listeners for being a part of the show. We love hearing from you and your feedback. Jessica, your nice compliment. Uh, if (laughs) If you have questions you want us to follow up on or different topics that you'd like to hear about, we 
welcome you to um, email us using the contact forms on our blogs, thepaleomom.com or realeverything.com. And please engage with us on social media. If you learned something from listening to one of our shows, the absolute best thing you can do is to share about it, either you know via social media or sending it to someone that you care about and um, sharing about it via leaving a review in whatever platform you're listening to so that someone else who's debating listening can learn that thirsty brain is not how much water your brain needs, (laughs) but is a show (laughs) about having a thirst for knowledge. So with that, thank you so much listeners and hope you have a wonderful week. We will of course be back next week. Thank you for being part of this awesome community. We know that we would be besties if only you could chime in. Super besties. The best way to stay in touch with us is to engage on our social media, subscribe to our newsletters, and share this podcast with others. Thank you for sharing. We love your reviews in iTunes, Stitcher, or however you listen. I am so excited to talk Matt into filtering his tap water. (laughs) That's a good one. This is why I'm super excited for you to jump in the Sarah. (laughs) Jump into the science, Sarah. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. I need to calm down and drink this (laughs) aqua true water on my desk. Right? It's it's all one big cup. It's all one big cup point so far. That's true. Except he keeps, like, going to cut it. See what's happening right now is, like, each time. (laughs) And then, then he realizes that I mess up again. And he's like exasperated with me but the good news is he's gonna continue drinking tap water just because of how annoyed he is having to edit this episode together i know i know i love you babe seeking the truth never gets old introducing june's journey the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery join june parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.